start this mysterious inquisition into this text. You've heard the overview. You've heard the summary of it. Let's start with the question, why was Jesus so standoffish with her initially? Why did he make her go through such an argument where he said no, essentially many times, before eventually releasing this miracle to her. And to understand that, you got to understand some theological stuff, a lot of stuff that most lay people consider boring, but you need to know it to understand the scripture. So let's start with dispensations. Uh, The biblical scholar Schofield revealed uh, the seven dispensations of the scripture. Number one is the dispensation of innocence. This is from the creation up until the fall of man, when man sinned for the first time and sin came in and polluted the world. That's the dispensation of innocence. Number two is the dispensation of conscious. This is from the fall of man to the flood. Side note about the flood. Why did God have to destroy the entire world with water except for Noah and his family? It's because when sin entered the world and man was up under the dispensation of conscience, God kept making appeals to mankind. Okay, there's sin in the world now, yes, but, but he would make an appeal to them and encourage mankind to follow him, encourage people, different people, different people groups. He would encourage them to follow him. And yet they kept growing and increasing in sin and wickedness and something about them, whatever it was, caused them. It's not like they were holding on to their wickedness and holding on to God. They, they held on to their wickedness with both hands and just continued to reject God. So violence multiplied in the earth. Uh, lewd, sexual immorality multiplied. Uh, p- people were uh, being persecuted in such an awful way that the world was a really terrible place. And so God sends the flood. After the flood, number three, you have the dispensation of human government. Now, he's not talking about politics or governmental systems. He's talking about after the flood, and this is amazing. It speaks to the wickedness of our own heart. After the flood, you would think mankind would start reaching for God or be open to his appeals. He just destroyed the world. And so you would think that mankind would have learned their lesson, but they did not. And the scripture says everyone began to do what was right in their own eyes, not what was right according to God and not responding to his appeal, but rejecting God totally and governing themselves rather than allowing themselves to be governed by God. Psalm 14, one through three describes this era. I didn't tell you earlier, dispensation is just a fancy word for era or time period or age. But Psalms 14, 1 through 3, put it up there. I want them to see it. David is describing this era, and he says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Describing the era, he says, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works, and there is none. Look at that. There is none. Who does good? And then finally, from the depths of that depravity, God destroys the earth with a flood because the wickedness had increased. But then God says, no matter how bad it gets from here on out, I'm never going to do that again. I did it once. It was justified. But no matter how bad it gets, I'm never going to do that again. Placed a rainbow in the sky, made a covenant with the earth that he would never destroy it again with water. And so the, the, the chaos post-flood has risen to the level that it was before the flood. And God keeps making appeals to people. He keeps showing up at different places in the earth, different nations, different nationalities. He, he keeps on making appeals to people. Nobody wants him and the wickedness is just increasing 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 so god 
the creator God, the, the almighty God. You know, he's like, you know, the nice guy at the dance who can't get a date. Nobody wants him. And in this environment, the scripture says the eyes of the Lord were searching, running to and fro throughout the earth, just looking for someone he could show himself strong to. Couldn't find him. And this went on for generations. Generations of God not being able to find somebody to come into relationship with. You know, you think you've been single a long time. And if you've ever been, if you're single now or if you've ever been single for a long time, it's not true. It's not true. But, but sometimes you start to feel like, what's wrong with me that nobody, now God is the father of emotion. All the emotions you have, you have because God created you to have them. They came, they came out of him. Could you imagine how hurt he felt? How dejected he felt? Could you imagine his conversations with himself? How could I be this good? How could I be this God? In all my godness. Nobody wants it. And out of this decay, with God's eyes searching everywhere, Making appeals, rejected. Making appeals, rejected. Making appeals, rejected. He finds the son of an idol maker. Named Abraham. And for the first time since Noah. See, God had really tried to establish something from Noah. And Noah was with God until the flood was over. But then after the flood, everything got back to normal. Noah no longer had a project. And some people just love God for the projects. Some people are more in love with the mission than they are the master. And when the mission changes... Noah got done building the ark, got his family through the flood. Then he gave himself to the vineyard. Got drunk, started doing all kinds of things. And, and the problem wasn't necessarily the drunkenness as much as it was. He no longer had the focus and driving passion for God. And he wouldn't train his children. So from. Noah's the last one, and that's been generations. God's been looking, 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 trying to get, and he meets the son of an idol maker. And for the first time in generations, in the world, somebody responds to God. Somebody answers the call. Somebody begins to reach after God. Somebody begins to speak back to God. Somebody begins to worship God. God is intrigued. So the Lord begins in the dispensation of promise to test Abraham. I want to see if you're really about this life. So God gives him a series of hard tests. God gave Abraham tests like get out of your country, away from your kindred, from your father's house. I want you to go and travel to a land that I will show you. God, where am I going? I'll tell you when you're close. He, he, he challenged him to do things like, believe me to give you a miracle son from your barren wife, who is not only barren, but past childbearing age, and you're impotent. And in those conditions, I want you to believe me and tell everybody that I'm going to give you a miracle son. Then I want you to take that miracle son after you've lived with him and loved him. And I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice and a burnt offering to me. Take your only son that you waited your whole life for, put him on an altar, set him on fire and offer him up to me. We, God eventually didn't let him go through with that, but he had to be willing to. 
Even God said, you, you know, test like uh, take out a sharp rock and circumcise yourself. That'd have been a struggle for me, fellas. It's just, if, if that was the word I got. What does this have to do with? And when God saw Abraham's response to all of these things, God said, that's it. I'm done. I'm tired of dating. I ain't messing with nobody else in the earth. I'm going to make my covenant, my relationship with you, with you and your kids. I've tried all the other people. I've made appeals to them. I've shown them. I've revealed myself in dreams and visions. I've spoken to people. I've revealed my power. Nobody wants me. I've visited all the nations of the earth and they don't want me. You want me. But you're not a nation. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take you and turn you into a nation. And then I'm going to regulate all of my power toward you and your kids. That's it. So all of your Old Testament is really, I mean, most of your Old Testament is from about Genesis 12 all the way through, is really just God dealing with the kids of one man, the only man that accepted him in the earth. So Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, whose name is eventually changed to Israel. Jacob has 12 sons that became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And God took those 12 tribes and turned them into, multiplied them, blessed them, turned them into the nation of Israel. And all you have in your Old Testament is God doing things with the nation of Israel. He said, if, if mankind is going to see any power, they're only going to have to see it in Israel. In fact, he named himself that. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he closed himself off and made an exclusive covenant with Abraham and his descendants. So all through the Old Testament, I want you to see this. This covenant circumvented their own personal morality, like it or not. Because many times in the Old Testament, you see the nation of Israel doing things that are just as deplorable as the pagans around them were doing. And yet God continues to be faithful to them, not because they were faithful to him, but because Abraham was. So God is continuing to bless, to favor, to fight for, and to defend the children of Israel not even for their sake, but for the sake of Abraham, their father, and the covenant he had made with him. And I'll remind you what we've been singing. God is a covenant-keeping God. Now, covenant. We talk a lot about that in this church. It's an antiquated term. Most people, unless you've been in church, have no idea what it means. In modern vernacular, it just means contract. And a contract is only powerful because it is exclusive. For instance, Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers was the highest paid quarterback in the National Football League this season. He made $50.4 million. Now, I can't go to Green Bay and walk into the general manager's office and collect Aaron Rodgers' salary. You know why? Because I ain't Aaron Rodgers. 
the power of his contract is in that it is exclusive to him. Also, during the season, Aaron Rodgers can't get mad and decide he wants to go play for another team. You know why? Because the power of the contract is in its exclusivity. God made that kind of deal with Abraham. You have to understand this about your Bible. He's saying, if I'm going to do it in the earth, I'm going to do it through you or through your kids. I ain't doing nothing else in the earth that circumvents you and your kids. I tried all those other jokers. You're the one. That's what you're looking at with covenant. Now, there was a promise in that original covenant that God had made that because his people were still sinful, they were his people, but they were still sinful. And because they were still broken and because they still had moral decay, there was a promise in the original covenant God made with Abraham that God would send a redeemer, a Messiah, one that would save, watch this language, his people from their sins. In fact, that's what the angel said when uh, Mary gave birth to Jesus. The angel said, you you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save, watch, his people from their sins. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son, and he started preaching in Palestine and performing miracles for his people. His purpose initially was to target his ministry and his power toward the natural descendants of Abraham so that God's original covenant could be fulfilled. So in our text, when he's exhausted from ministering to his people, a strange woman approaches him. Verse 21, Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Just leaving a ministry trip, he's tired, and he departs to a region where he thinks he can get away from people and get some rest. And the scripture says, behold, a woman of Canaan. Now, in the Mark 7 reference that I gave you, it gives us her race. It says she was a Greek and that she was Syrophoenician. Help you understand that the Phoenicians are where the Vikings come from. In physical appearance, look a lot different from the Jews. In culture, raising uh, paradigms that judge appropriateness, they're a lot different from the Jews. She has no background, does not know who Yahweh is, doesn't know who Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob are, have no idea about the law of Moses, has no idea about the customs of the worship of the Israelites. She's not been raised to know God, and she's a stranger to the covenants of promise. This woman comes to Jesus simply because she's in trouble. A lot of people only come to Jesus simply because she's in trouble. And it's the worst kind of trouble. It's trouble in the house. Now, it's one thing to have trouble outside the house. Because you can go outside, deal with the trouble and then leave it outside, and come back home. Trouble outside the house, that's something everybody's got to deal with. But, oh, life gets miserable when you got trouble outside the house, and then you come home and you got trouble in the house. And the scripture lets us know that she's dealing with a demon, an evil spirit, and the evil spirit has gotten her daughter. And so it's not like she could just cut off the relationship. You know, if, you, if you're friends with somebody that got an evil spirit, you know, you can just say uh, goodbye, you know. Uh, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. 
see you wouldn't want to be you, you know. I don't need all that demon drama in my life. I got enough, you know. But her problem is something that she hates has gotten inside something that she loves. What do you do when something you hate that you just want to be rid of is down on the inside of something that you that you love. Incidentally, this was the crisis Satan put God in in the Garden of Eden because he loved Adam and Eve and God hated sin. And so Satan set it up to where something God hated would be taken in by something God. So she's got a devil in her daughter and the challenge is how do I get rid of the devil? without getting rid of my daughter. She had tried to reason with her, but you can't reason with a demon. She had tried to get angry. I'm fed up with this, but you can't scream a demon out. And finally, she hits a breaking point and realizes she needs someone with more power than she has to deal with the struggle in her house. And so I can imagine in my mind, she started doing research. I'm sure she went to every pagan shaman, every witch doctor, every single spiritualist you can imagine, every psychic, every reader. She, she, I'm sure she tried everything to find a power that could deal with the demon and her daughter, and it all failed. I don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't say it. I don't know for sure who it was. But somebody told her about Jesus. Now, the text is juicy if you love the word because the text give us some clues on who it might have been that told her about Jesus. Because when she approaches Jesus, she uses this terminology that we only see one other person in Scripture use. She says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I've heard that before. You remember where you heard that before? Remember who said that before? There was a blind man named Bartimaeus, who sat by the highway side. He was a beggar, and he was known for being a loud mouth. And one day he heard that Jesus was passing by, and he started screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The disciples tried to get him to shut up and be quiet, and he cried the louder. He's a loud mouth. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and all of a sudden, I put those two together. This woman's a foreigner. She's not from the country. She's not from the area. She's not been raised in all this. I believe while she was researching, trying to find something to help her daughter, that she ran across loud mouth Bartimaeus. Because after Jesus healed Bartimaeus, you think he was loud before. He got even louder and would tell everybody that would give him five minutes about what Jesus had done for him. And so I imagine she's been on this quest. She's been searching. She hears loud mouth and, and, and she, she starts pressing him. Okay, okay. How, what did he do? How did you approach him? What did you say? And so she's writing down, okay, Jesus, uh, son of David, and I'll throw Lord in there. That sounds good. Have mercy on me. She's getting all the details right, all the approach right. Because she, she wants to go and pursue this for her daughter. And, 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 and what I want you to see is she's only in the room with Jesus. Because somebody told her their story, their testimony. Listen to me. You have got to tell your story. If God has done anything for you, if you have anything in your history 
that you can point to and say, I know for sure that right there, that was the hand of God. If you got anything in your life that you can point to that is beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know there may be some questions about this other stuff, but I know that one right there had to have been the Lord. Then, then you have a responsibility to tell your story, even if it makes people uncomfortable, even if people don't like it, even if people mock you for it, you have a responsibility because your story may be the reason somebody far off that would have never came to God ever ends up in the room with him at his feet. This woman is here not seeking religion, not interested in faith. This woman is here because she heard somebody tell about what Jesus did for me. She's, she's in the room and, and he's tired and, and, and she makes the approach. You know, she's, she's got the notes written down on her hand so she can just kind of glance at uh, uh, Jesus, uh, son of David. Uh, I don't know who that is. Son of David, uh, have mercy on me. And as she does, as she says this, she's, she breaks into the, the story. My daughter is grievously, grievously possessed by an unclean spirit. There's an evil spirit in my house. She's not just acting crazy. She's not just acting wrong. She's not just being rebellious. She's taken over by an evil, dark entity. And, 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 and I believe because of what I've heard that you have the power to remove it from her. Would you please, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And the text says he answered her. Not a word. Verse 23. And he answered her. Not a word. Why? You understand his words aren't just words, right? He told his disciples one day, the words I speak to you. They are spirit. They are life. In other words, he answered her not a word because up to this point, his words have been reserved for his people. Don't jump ahead in your mind just because you know the story of the gospels and how it ended. Yes, it says he came into his own and his own received him not. Yes, it says his own people rejected him. Yeah, but, but that hadn't happened yet. They hadn't sent him to the cross yet. They hadn't betrayed him yet. They hadn't rejected him yet. So he is still in the zone and in, in the motive of aiming all of his power at his covenant people to be loyal to an ancient old man named Abraham. Because when God couldn't find nobody else in the earth, Abraham said, I want you. I'll take you. I want you. So she comes with a sad story. He looks at, I ain't got no history with you. I got no covenant with you. I ain't got no agreement. My father hadn't made no blood oath to you. There ain't nobody in your entire bloodline history that's ever called on the name of the Lord. My father visited your people millennia ago. And you didn't want anything. You worshiped the sun. You worshiped the seas. You prayed to the moon as if it had no father. So you got a problem with the devil? Join the club. And then the disciples speak up. And be part of verse 23. And they make, you know, a, a huge apostolic blunder. They said, uh, send her away. She's crying after us. 
the ignorance of anointed leaders is amazing at times. I want to speak to all the leaders in this church, all the leaders watching online. The people are never crying after us. They don't want to see us. It's not about us. The job of leadership in ministry is to simply use your time, talent, effort, and energy to connect them to Jesus. And the moment you think it's about, they're here to see me. If you came to Christian World today to see me, you have failed miserably and will leave empty because I'm not the power. I, I just hope to, if I'm successful, to connect you to. <laughs> They're crying after us. Not my opinion. My opinion. They're crying after us. I don't think Jesus would have ever talked to her. But when he heard the ignorance of their What are you doing? You know. Jesus turns in his compassion and and he says to her verse 24 he tries to let her down gently he says I I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What's he saying in that? All that stuff I bored you with in the beginning about dispensations and the covenant of promise and the dispensation of promise and the Abrahamic covenant and God regulating his power to Abraham and his kid. This is what Jesus is saying. I've only been sent. I was sent with power from my father. But I can't abuse the power and I can't misuse the power. The power, hallelujah, was ordained and sent to honor this covenant my father made with this man a long time ago and his descendants. And, and, and that's why I'm sent, because his descendants have got beside themselves. His descendants are lost. His descendants are in sin. His descendants are in pain. His descendants are in brokenness. And I'm here for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, uh, and then, in other words, sorry. In other words, no. In other words, can't help you. Now, all of the commentaries agree, verse 24, is a parting thought. He's leaving. He's trying to leave the room. He wants to get out of there. You know, but then in verse 25, she flips the script on him because the scripture says that then she came and worshiped him. See, she walked in trying to use Bartimaeus script. Son of David, have, have mercy, Lord. Now that he said no, she throws the script away and she falls down. Gets down on the floor and starts worshiping Jesus. Now, he already said no. He's trying to leave, but, but now she's worshiping him. And if God had a weakness, it would be worship. There's something about worship from a human being. Worship will drag God into a conversation he'd rather not have. Worship will pull God into your situation, no matter what else is going on in the situation. Worship from an outsider will even get God's attention. Worship from a person he has no relationship with will even get God's attention because he's still a God that by nature inhabits or lives in praise. Now, he has not changed his mind. He's trying to leave. She starts worshiping him, and he can't leave. 
Because David said he'll never leave a worshiper. I got to go. He's worshiping. Now he's mad. He was nice with his no first. Now she's holding him up. Now she's, she's, she's manipulating him. That's what manipulation is, using your weakness against you. And he's mad now. And so now he's going to say the second no with a little more bluntness and clarity than he did the first no. Verse 26, but he answers after she worshiped. But he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. That would have ended the conversation with most Christians today. He's agitated. He's upset. He wants to leave. He calls her a dog. Dog in Israel, in Israelite terminology, that was what they used to refer to someone who didn't have a covenant or to Gentiles, non-descendants of Abraham. And so let me, let me help you understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I see you as the difference between a child that's my child and a dog. Children have needs. Dogs have needs. But a good father prioritizes the needs of the children above the needs of the dog. Sounds harsh. But at this point, all that's on his mind is providing for his own. And then the whole text swivels and turns. Because she said, yes, Lord, you're right. Yet, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now, listen, you ask most people or you listen to most messages about where Jesus changed his mind in this discourse. Most people would say it was when she worshiped him. No. Worship kept him in the room. It'll still do that. Worship kept him talking because worship squeezes words out of God. If you haven't got a word from God in a long time, it's because you're not worshiping because worship forces words out of God. Worship kept him in the room. Number one, it kept him talking. Number two. But he didn't change his mind until she said, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the masters. You know what she's saying? I'll be a dog if you'll be my master. <laughs> Don't miss it. It's here she shifts. From wanting Jesus to give her something to her wanting to give herself to Jesus. Which is, in fact, all that ancient Abraham did. <laughs> she followed the Abrahamic code and didn't even know it. She was saying. Fine, I'll be a dog. I'll be whatever you want me to be. 
if you'll be. David said something similar to this when he was the king, the highest man. David said, I would rather be a slave that's beaten if he doesn't hold the doorpost open for people when they're walking. He said, I'd rather be a slave at the door of the Lord than to be the ruler of it all. In other words, David was saying, I'll be your servant if you'll be my man. I'll hold doors if you will be my master and it was the faith she had to surrender herself see this is why we don't have a lot of conversions today because people come to Jesus needing things I get it we all need things but they never take that they want the savior but not a lot of people want the master. And so we occupy churches and go through religious rituals and ceremonies and see songs and hear sermons. But it never clicks until the Savior is also viewed as master and when she decided to make Jesus master the Bible said he looked at her and he said this is the Mark 7 reference he said for this saying in other words <laughs> because you said that you don't qualify you're not from the lineage or the background or the culture. But because you said that, the demon leaves from your daughter right now. And you understand, you understand what this means. The Bible says in the passage I read you, when she got home, she found the demon was already gone and her daughter was laying in a bed. That means the moment she surrendered to Jesus, God fixed the problem before she got home. This for somebody. If you will surrender to Jesus this morning, God will fix that crisis before you're even able to drive home. Give him praise right now all over the house. That's a word for somebody. I need to quit. Two years later, two years later, Jesus' own. Remember what John 1 said? He came unto his own. In fact, it says it like this. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. The world knew him not. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Two years later, after performing this miracle for this woman, two years later, Jesus' own turned on him. They rejected him. They arrested him. They beat him. They plucked his beard, spit in his face, and mocked him. They stripped him naked, and they turned him over to the Roman soldiers, and they cried out as a crowd, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And when his own rejected him for the first time in all those years since Abraham and God made that covenant, when his own crucified him, God ratified a new covenant in his own son's blood. The new covenant shifted the target okay, 
of God's activity, his salvation, his deliverance, his healing, his miracles, his power. The new covenant shifted the target instead of only being aimed at the natural descendants of Abraham. Now it is aimed at whosoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus in faith will confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that on the third day God raised him from the dead. Now the target of the new covenant is anybody from any culture, from any race, from any background, from any history that dares believe that Jesus went to Calvary and bled and died for your sins and that God caused him to bodily rise from the grave on the third day. And so now we don't need loopholes like this woman got. We ain't got to go through all that. But, but I want you to consider something. If she got her miracle off of a crumb, what could you get with the whole loaf? You understand you're the target now of God's affection. That you are now what his own people were to him when he first started his ministry. That now the same affection and exclusivity he had for them, now he has for you. Paul says it like this, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's back all that up with apostolic doctrine. Ephesians chapter 2. What you talking about, Paul? Give me some Paul. Therefore, remember that you. Look at your neighbor and say you. you. Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. In other words, the Jews call the Gentiles the uncircumcision. Made in the flesh by hands. That at that time you were without Christ. Not just because you didn't know him. You didn't have access to him. You were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. What covenants of promise? The one he made Abraham. Having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the blood of a new covenant. I said, that's the blood of a new covenant. Preach, Paul, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man or one new being from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both, both Jew and Gentile, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity or the war that was against us. That's your life. That's your position. That's what is available to you. But so many people today are still doing what they did thousands and thousands of years ago in the time of Abraham. God's showing up with the whole loaf. I'm the bread of life. Want some? Want a relationship? Want all that I have to offer? Want to know me? Want to serve me? Isn't it amazing how he was rejected in Abraham's day by all the people? Then Abraham accepts him, makes a covenant with Abraham and his children. Then God comes down in the flesh to fulfill the covenant he made to Abraham and his children. And Abraham's children reject him. 
thus making him available again. God's back on the market. Stand to your feet and give him a praise all over the house. I know my responsibility. I know what I have and what I don't. I love you so much and my heart is so towards you. I wish I had the power to change your situation, but I don't. And I don't know exactly how God is going to move and change your life or your situation if you surrender to him. I just promise you that the moment he becomes master, your problem because it becomes his responsibility. Here's the thing about my dogs. If they get sick, it's not their responsibility to get to the vet, to get medicine, to get whatever. When they have something going on, they become, their problem becomes my responsibility. When you allow Jesus to be the master of your life, when you submit to him and you say, okay, I'm done my way, your way, teach me, lead me. If you don't like what I'm connected to, disconnect me from it. Give me the strength to disconnect it. What, what is your purpose for me? Never mind what I wanted to do. What's your will, not mine? When you surrender to Jesus, this is what I know from the scripture. The problem lifts before you get home. And it's heartbreaking when you really think about it. It's devastating. It's emotionally gut-wrenching that God made it so simple. He said, if you hear the gospel and have faith in it, if you believe in what you've heard and you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, the gospel message that God raised him from the dead after he died on the cross from your sins. And then you call on the name of the Lord in that faith that with the heart man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It's that simple. If you want to make that confession, I'd be honored if you would allow me to do all that leadership can do in the churches. Try to connect you to Jesus. You can bow your head and close your eyes. And you can say this with me, Lord Jesus. I realize I'm a sinner. I have committed sin. I need the forgiveness and the grace that the cross you died on provides. So today, I believe in the Lord Jesus. I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. I believe in my heart you died for my sins and on the third day by the power of the Father you were raised to life I invite you into my life today as my Savior and my Master lead me and guide me do things in my life that I know are from you 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Give the Lord a praise. All over the house. According to the New Testament, if you prayed that and you believed it in your heart, you got saved. You got born again. Your sins have been forgiven. The slate is clean between you and God. And what you need to help you, what you need to build your spiritual life, because you're born again, but you're an infant now, what you need is you need what Jesus gave to the earth, which is his church, for you to be incubated, for you to grow in, for you to develop in, and for you to be trained in. And if you're new to this church and you've not plugged into membership yet, I want to invite you this Saturday to our Sea Life class. It's going to begin at 9.30 in the morning. We'll have some refreshments for you. I'll be speaking. Some of our elders will be speaking. And we'll be telling you how to get plugged in and begin to flesh out and walk out and live out the journey of what it means to be a Christ follower. And um, it means a lot to me. Some of you are newer. I haven't had the opportunity to, to connect and to meet with you yet. So if you'll be here this Saturday at 930, we'll uh, do all of that stuff. Lift your hands and let me pray for you. Father, I pray you bless every person in this room. I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit begins to move and work in their lives and lead them in the paths of righteousness. Go before them and make every crooked place straight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Listen to me real quick. Because of your generosity last week, we were able to purchase everything we needed to purchase to start our construction tomorrow morning. So listen. Listen, balcony sitters. I tell you what, if you've never sat in the balcony, you ought to try it. It's my favorite seat in the sanctuary. I love the balcony. But anyway, if you normally sit in the balcony, uh, you will not be able to use the staircase in the foyer next week because it will be gone. Um, we have to take out the old one to have space for the new one that we're building that's going to eventually connect to our uh, children's center that we're building. So what I need you to do, balcony sitters is I need you, if you come in and you want to sit in the balcony, you still can come in the main sanctuary and just use these stairs, okay? And look, look at somebody and say, nobody be weird. Okay, over the next few weeks, because those doors over there on the back wall, on the balcony, they're going to be closed. You can't access it because we don't want people falling off the, you know, no stairs. Some people try to jump down, you know. So, so over the next few weeks, every time someone's got to go to the bathroom or if someone has to leave earlier, if someone has to go check on their kids or whatever, there's going to be people coming up and down these stairs all service long, and it's going to be distracting, okay? Oh, well, okay? We're going to deal with it and, uh, and get through it because better is coming. Our construction project officially starts tomorrow. So, listen, thank you so much for your giving, your faithfulness, what you've poured in to this. You've given us such confidence and boldness to approach this in faith that God is going to give us this building completely 100% debt-free. It's a miracle. We believe that. We believe that. We believe that. In fact, some of the beams that connect that new building to this one are going in tomorrow. It's going to be kind of cool. So anyway, listen, I, I, I want to thank you for what you did last week. Those of you that sewed into this project, some of you texted me, called me and said you, you were going to wait till this week to sew. That's fine. If, if you're giving your offering from last week, if, you're, if you waited to give it this week, prepare that now. Uh, everyone else, I want to challenge you, get an offering for the Lord. He's a good father. He gave us the church. And then expects us to use our faith. And he challenges us to support his church that he gave. And to support his house. Where he feeds and blesses and strengthens people. And uh, we want to be a blessing. And we use this, these future two buildings to be a blessing. Not only to this church body, but this community. You're sowing into good ground. So get something in your hand. Let's honor the Lord. Lord, look at our sacrifice. 
consider our offerings and let your blessing rain on your people. If you'd like to give using your credit card, you can or give by text, you can do that. If you'd like to give online, you can do that. Let's be a big family. Let's be a big family in this. Let's all chip in together. Get a seed in your hand. Get an offering in your hand. Get something in your hand or in your phone or on your card, however it is. Lord, bless your people. Thank you for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can give your offering electronically or you can come to the altar and drop it off. I love you so much. It's good to be with you today.